tell you, because you're going to have to have faith this week that you can get everything done that you need to get done. You know, we've got a cartoon uh, that's on the wall of uh, one of our of the toilet in in our in our house, and in this cartoon it shows God speaking from a cloud to Abraham, and Sarah is standing nearby, and God says to Abraham, Abraham, you have a great faith, and Abraham replies, Thanks. Do you think I could be a model? And Sarah comments, honey, God doesn't have a lisp. Now, some of you will get that at some point in the sermon and you'll laugh and it's awesome. Now, I don't know if God does have a great face. I mean, if God loves a great face. But God does love a great faith. (laughs) Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that. Okay, I'm going to have to explain the joke to you, aren't I? You're going to be thinking about it the whole time. Abraham, you have a great faith. So if God has a lisp, he's saying, you have a great face. He's like, I have a great face? No, he doesn't have a lisp. You have a great faith. Okay, we got that. Good. Okay, moving on. Thank you, Jesus. If you saw the cartoon, you'd love it. It's just fantastic. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's so interesting. Again and again throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus saying to people that it is their faith that makes the difference. That in some way, it's their faith that enables or creates an environment in which a miracle can happen or salvation can come or power can flow, and which, is, which is great. This whole idea of, of having a great faith is great if we feel like we've got a great faith. I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times in my life when I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've got a great faith. Some days I don't know if I have any faith at all. Certainly if I go camping and I have to put up a tent, I come so close to losing my salvation just in putting up a tent. I don't understand that. But we need to understand what faith is this morning because God is looking for faith. In fact, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? God is looking for faith, and he's looking to us. What is faith? In the English translation, there are three words that are used to communicate the idea of faith. They are the words faith, belief, and trust. But what's interesting is that in the original language, it is just one word. It's the Greek word pistis. It's just one word. And so the concept of faith in the original language combines all those three ideas that we get in the English translation. To have faith means to believe in the existence of, to have faith in the goodness of, and to trust in the action of God. I'm going to say it again. What is faith? It's to believe in the existence of, it's to have faith in the goodness of, and it's to trust in the action of. God is believing that God, sorry, faith is believing that God exists It's having faith that he is good, and it's trusting that he is acting on your behalf. Now, this is is, is where it gets interesting, because in contrast, unbelief is something a little bit different. And we're warned against unbelief. The Bible says multiple times that we're to watch out for unbelief, that we're not to be in unbelief. Now, this is interesting. In Thayer's Greek lexicon, which is a Greek dictionary, it says that that, um, unbelief is withholding faith in God withholding faith in God. Now, this is important because it means that unbelief is not passive. It is active. It is not the absence of faith. It is withholding the faith that we have. That's interesting. 
So how do we hold back something that we don't have? Paul wrote something that we need to hear today. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul talks about the faith that God has distributed to each of us. The faith that God has distributed to each of us. God has distributed faith to you. Do you realize that? God has given faith to you. You already have faith whether you feel it or not. Whether you think you do or not, whether you're having a bad day or a good day, you have already got faith in you somewhere. That's why unbelief is a sin. Because it's not the absence of faith, it's the withholding of faith, of the faith that you have already been given. Man, this is so exciting. You've already been given a measure of faith. You've already been given a measure of faith. You've already been given a measure of faith. You have already been given a measure of faith. You already have all the faith that you need for everything that God is going to do in and through your life. Now that changes the game if we've been given faith. It changes it because, number one, it means that there is a confidence that comes when you realize that you have been given faith. You don't have to earn it. It's not a reward for good behavior. It's not given out for good quality Christian performance. You have it. You have it on good days and you have it on bad days. You can be confident that you have faith. Secondly, when you know that you've been given faith, there's an assurance that comes when you know you've got it. You don't have to wonder if you've got enough. You don't have to think, do I need to somehow get some more? You don't have to be concerned about losing it. You already have it. It's there somewhere. A couple of weeks ago, I took Lizzie out to the movies on our day off. So we went to the movie theater early. We bought our tickets. I carefully put my tickets where I wouldn't lose them. We went out, had a coffee, did a bit of window shopping, and then went back to the movie theater. And of course, who knows what happened? Couldn't find the tickets. So what did I do? Did I go and buy some more tickets? No. Why? Because I had an assurance that I already had it. I knew that I had them. I knew they were there somewhere. So I searched all my pockets. I turned my jacket inside out. I triple checked my wallet. And, of course, eventually the tickets turn up. I found them. You can, if you have received a measure of faith, you can have an assurance in knowing that it's there somewhere. Now, it doesn't matter what you've been through. I don't care how tough the trial's been. You've got faith. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that Jesus has distributed to you. It's there already. You just got to find it. And then thirdly, there's a resourcefulness that comes when you know that you've been given faith. Because if you know you have it, then all of a sudden, anything is possible. All of a sudden, instead of worrying whether or not I've got enough faith, for what God wants to do through me, the thought is, what can I do because I know I have got faith? That enables us to step out and try new things. It enables us to come to problems with a different level of resourcefulness because we're not worrying. Are we stopped at the starting blocks because we don't know if we've got enough faith to get across the line? No, we've got faith. The question is not, will God do anything? The question is, how will God do what he's going to do through me? You know, being on the oversight with Pastor Luke is quite an experience, I can tell you. Uh, I sit on, uh, once a month on a Tuesday evening, we sit with the elders as part of the oversight, and, and I've done that now for uh, about seven years, and it's been quite an experience, because when it comes to buying property, when it comes to facilities, church facilities, Pastor Luke, he knows without a shadow of a doubt that he has faith for that. It's quite bizarre. I'll sit there going, 
oh, I don't know about this. And, and yet Pastor Lee, he gets a sense of what God is saying. He feels that this is right. The elders are in agreement. John Roberts is another one of those men who has great faith when it comes to these things. And it, the adventure is not in, or oh, do we have enough faith to maybe believe that maybe God could do this? The question is an entirely different one. The question is, how? How could God do this if this is what he is calling us to do? I think of when we purchased the Mahia roadside, and I'm sure John will correct me if I've got the details wrong, but we didn't have the money to buy the Jehovah's Witness property uh, that, well, five or six years ago. In fact, we didn't have enough money for a deposit. And then when we found out a little bit later as Pastor Luke and John and the other elders are going, well, God, how are you going to do this? Because we've, we've got an assurance that you're going to do this. So how are you going to do this? Then they found out that the JWs had never claimed GST on the property. And Pastor Luke, uh, along with John and others, managed to do this wonderful godly deal where we were able to claim the GST back off the government and then use the GST as a deposit to buy the property. And so then we bought, was it a $14 million property when we bought it? An absolutely astonishing thing. That is now our Manurewa Church, and they're getting about 800 out on a Sunday. It's now our Elam Leadership College. It's an astonishing thing. There's a different resourcefulness that comes when you know you have received faith. It's not, do I have the faith to do something? It's because I have faith, which something will I do that God might bless? And we've got to understand that God is wanting to change the world through you and me. He's wanting to change the world. He's wanting to change the environment we're in. He's wanting to change the culture that we find ourselves in. He's wanting to bring good in every situation that you're in. That's what he's wanting to do. And, and, and we have an enemy as humankind. The devil, the author of evil, he wants to steal kill and destroy what matters most to God. His plans and purposes are to wreck the world and to wreck people. He doesn't have rules of engagement. It doesn't bother him where he can take someone out in their teens through suicide, or if he can, he can take someone out in their 90s believing that they did their life this, their own way and they never need God. He doesn't care how he takes you out, but he wants to wreck you. That's what he wants to do because we are the things that God loves most on, in the world. And it's only faith that overcomes the corruption and evil in the world. 1 John 5 verse 4, this is the victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The devil hates that Jesus has given us faith. That's why he works so hard to get us out of faith, to get us away from faith, to get us believing that we don't have enough faith. That's what he does. But, but the, the reality is this, faith pleases God. That's so powerful. It pleases God. Hebrews 11. God loves it when we trust him. God loves it when we're willing to step out because we trust that maybe the impossible could be possible because God is in the equation. We all want people, sorry, we all want God to believe in us, but the real issue is do we believe in God? And when he leads us, will we trust him and step out in that? When God is pleased with us and we are living by faith, I tell you, we're on the winning side. Secondly, Faith allows the power of the Holy Spirit to flow and move, and the devil hates that. When the woman with the issue of blood pushed through the crowd to touch Jesus, she wasn't playing tag. It wasn't, Jesus, you're in. That wasn't what she was trying to do. She had faith that by touching Jesus, just maybe she could be healed. She had an assurance 
inside of her that it was possible. She felt a confidence that she should attempt it, and she took an action that drew power from the Son of God. Now, she didn't know how God was going to heal her. She didn't know if it was going to happen instantaneously. She didn't know if it was going to happen after touching, as she left like it did with the ten lepers. She didn't know if it was going to happen much later, but she did know that God could heal her if she would just touch him, because God might have healed her in a hundred different ways. And we need to remember that when it comes to faith. We have faith that God will move, but God can move in a hundred different ways. It's like the guy who comes across a lamp, and he rubs it with a cloth, and a genie pops out. And the genie says, you have one wish. And he thinks for a minute and says, I want to be irresistible to women. The genie replies, your wish is granted. He snaps his fingers and the man turns into a puppy. (laughs) You see, her faith didn't work out how God was going to heal her. Her faith didn't work out when God was going to heal her. She just had faith that he could. And Jesus felt, it was a physical experience, he felt the power go out of, out of himself. Isn't that astonishing? And in Mark 5.34, it says, He said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The devil hates that. Thirdly, faith saves us from our sin, from our past, from the consequences of our terrible decisions and tragic actions. We are saved. We are saved simply by faith. And at the end of the service, we'll give an opportunity for people who don't know Jesus to simply put their trust in him and to experience salvation. In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman. We're told she's a prostitute. She comes to Jesus in faith with a jar of ridiculously expensive perfume, trusting that while everyone else in that room was judging her, that Jesus wouldn't, that he would accept her that he would welcome her. She breaks the jar. She anoints Jesus with the perfume. She demonstrates her love. And it's so interesting. She doesn't say the sinner's prayer. She didn't sign up for growth track. She didn't do alpha. She didn't go through the Ten Commandments one by one and confess her sins. But Jesus says to the woman in Luke 7.50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That'll mess with their theology. But we're saved by faith, by putting our trust in Jesus, whether it happens here, whether it happens in your bedroom at home, whether it happens in your car. It's not about the location. It's about trust. It's about putting our faith in him. And you have it. You have it. You have already received the faith that you need to do what God has called you to do. And this is the one thought I want us to take away today. And Liz mentioned it very just a little bit in our, in our prayer time at the end there. Uh, I want you to take away this idea that faith, I mean, faith is many things, but faith is also a state. Faith is a state. There's an emotional, a spiritual, a physical state or attitude that when we are in it, anything is possible. Faith is the state of possibilities. Faith is the state of possibilities. Faith is actually an emotional state. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual gift. But it's also an emotional state that produces a physical action that gets a supernatural response. And I want to talk a bit about that this morning. That means that when we're in a faith state, we can feel it. Pastor Phil Pringle says, among other things about faith, he says, faith is a feeling. 
Now, we've been told, most of us, that we should have faith and rely on faith, but not rely on our feelings. We need to understand what we're saying there. That is well-intentioned advice, particularly to young Christians who, you know, if they're feeling good, then, then we love Jesus, and when we're not feeling good, then God doesn't love me. And it's to stop that whole roller coaster thing of being led by our emotions. But that doesn't mean that when we're in that state of faith, that we don't feel that, that we don't experience that. It's something that we can experience internally. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. Did David run out to faith Goliath, shaking like a leaf, and trying to calculate what his chances of survival were? No, he was confident. He was confident in God that the big fella was coming down. And that's exactly what happened. Did Joshua and Caleb go out to lead Israel into the promised land, feeling unsure about their chances and fearful about what was ahead? No, they were confident. They were confident that God would fight their battles that God would go before them and that he would make a way. In fact, God's specific instruction to Joshua just before they went through the Jordan was, Josh, you need to get yourself into a faith state. You've got to get into that place. What did he say to him? Remember, he said, be strong. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's an important aspect that I'm going to bring out later. But what we're saying with Josh was, Josh, you can't be all fearful. You can't be there. Man, you've got to get into faith on this. When you step into that Jordan River, when you go through there to take on Jericho, when you do that, you've got to feel it, brother. You've got to be in that place of faith because only in that place will you be able to step in to do what I've called you to do. Did Paul go through his ministry years feeling like he was jinxed? I mean, honestly, wondering why he had all the bad luck. I mean, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a poisonous snake, he was chained up in Rome when he was meant to be planting churches. I mean, was he depressed? Was he fearful? Was he wondering what was going to happen next? No, because Paul lived in a state of faith. That doesn't mean he didn't have his difficult times, his down moments. Absolutely. He talks about being crushed, about being perplexed, about having those experiences. But somehow he managed to get himself each time back into a place of faith. When he was stoned for preaching the gospel, he wasn't thinking, wow, that was, that was a pretty extreme response. Like maybe the Pharisees are right. Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe this is actually a sign from God that I shouldn't be preaching the gospel. He didn't think that way at all. He was like, God kept me alive. God must have kept me alive so I can keep preaching. Let's keep going, boys. When he was in the storm and about to be shipwrecked, he wasn't thinking, oh my gosh, we're all going to drown. I shouldn't have been on the ship. I'm on the wrong place. He was like, yes, God said he's going to save us from the storm. I guess he's going to save us from the storm by wrecking the ship. Boy, that'll do the boys' heads in. That's what his state was. On shore, when he was bitten by the snake, he wasn't thinking, seriously, God, you brought me all the way here through all of this just to die of snake bite? He wasn't thinking that. He was in a state of faith. He was like, God, I don't think you brought me all the way here to die by snake bite. Let's get this snake off and see what God is going to do next. The locals saw God's hand on him. The local governor was healed as Paul prayed for him. And then the door of favor was opened and everything that they needed was supplied for them. When Paul was chained between two Roman soldiers, he wasn't going, oh, no, I'm chained between two unbelievers all day. He was like, awesome, I am chained between two unbelievers all day. 
Faith is a state. So how then do we live in this faith that God has given to each of us? You know, if we're honest, we have to admit that faith is not a state we always live in. Faith is not a state I always live in. Plenty of times I find myself in a place and in a state emotionally and spiritually where I do not have faith. When I'm down, I'm struggling, I wonder why we're doing what we're doing. I'm, I, I know that I'm mucking things up in my marriage and Liz is grumpy with me because I've been rude or unthinking or whatever it is. I have plenty of those times. I've had plenty of times when I've prayed for people and they don't get healed and I'm like, well, I don't know what that's all about and uh, I don't even know what you're doing, God. I'm not even sure if you're real anymore. I've had those moments, no doubt about it, but I tell you what, those are all the moments that I don't want to live in. Those are all the moments I'm not called to live in and it's only a matter of time if I do the right things that I get myself back into the state that I'm designed to live in which is a state of faith. So how do we do that? How do we get ourselves back in that place? Because Hebrews 10.38 says that we're designed to live by faith. So the scripture says actually the faith state is the state that you're meant to live in. This should be our normal. This should be our everyday. This is the place that we should live in. Now we don't, but that's what we should be working towards. So what do we do when we don't feel it? What do we do when we're not full of confidence? What do we do when we don't feel that sense that, yeah, God is good and God's going to do it and he's working on my behalf? The single most powerful thing you can do to get into that state of faith is to shift your focus. It's about the power of what we focus on. Your state and whatever state you're in, is the result in large measure, not entirely by any means, but one of the most powerful things that creates the state that we're in is our focus. If you focus on yourself and the bad things that are happening and the negative things, you will move into a state of depression. If you focus on the needs of others, if you focus on the abilities and skills that God has given you, you will move into a state of confidence. And if you focus on the person of God, on his faithfulness to you, and on his great and precious promises, you will move into a state of faith. We've got to shift our focus off what leads us into unbelief, and we've got to shift our focus on to what leads us and what creates belief. So what happens when we worship Jesus enthusiastically? What happens when we do that? When we lift our hands and we get our eyes focused on him? I tell you, it shifts our focus. I don't know about you, but, but uh, I bet if I said, hey, how, how many of you feel more faith after worship than you did before worship? I imagine every hand would go up. Every hand should go up. Why? What happens when we worship God? Well, aside from the fact we're loving on God, we're in relationship with God, there's something powerful that happens when we shift our focus. What happens when we pray to God strongly, when we're really going for it, when, our, when in our mind we're just seeing God, we're talking to God, we're interceding with Him, it shifts our focus. What happens when we read the Scriptures intently to discover principles and practices for our lives? It shifts our focus. And it's not just what you do to shift your focus, it's about how you do it. I'm telling you, team, you've got to do these things with energy and intentionality. When you see me down here and I'm jumping up and down and worshiping God, yes, I'm sweating, and yes, my voice is going weird and my singing is not great. But why do I do this? Because I'm wanting to shift myself back into that place of faith with God. Because I've got to believe God for something great to happen in our lives every Sunday morning that we come here. 
You see, it's not just about doing it. You've got to do it enthusiastically. You've got to put a bit of energy into it, a bit of intentionality. If you just open your Bible and flick through it like you're reading the, the Sunday news, I tell you, it's not going to shift your faith. If you, if you just sing in there with your arms folded and you're going through the words and, and you've got a scowl on your face, I'm telling you, you can say, well, I didn't feel God's presence near me today. And honestly, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't come near you when you had that scowl on your face either. Blind, blind Bartimaeus, when he'd thrown off that cloak and he was running to Jesus, what was he focused on? The fact that he couldn't see where he was going? The fact that he had no idea where he left his cloak? Or was he focused on Jesus? He was just focused on Jesus and it shifted his state. The Roman centurion, whose daughter lay sick at home dying, what was he focused on? Was he focused on the humiliation of having to come as a Roman soldier to this Jew in front of this Jewish crowd? Was he focused on that or was he just focused on Jesus and his belief and faith in him? He was in a state of faith. The father whose son had a demon that would try and throw his son into fire or water, what was he focused on? Was he focused on the demon or was he focused on Jesus? Now, this is a tricky one. I'm like, his son, this demon is manifesting through his son right in front of him. And I love the honesty of this particular man because he knew that he was struggling with this. And he says to Jesus, help me, help me in my unbelief. I love that. Why? Because he knew he had to get out of unbelief and into that place of faith. When we shift our focus onto God, we start to find the faith that he has already put inside of us. Why do we encourage wholehearted worship? Why do we try and lead wholehearted worship by example? Why do we try to encourage loud participatory prayer? Why do we encourage the daily habit of reading the scriptures to hear from God? Because when we obey God and when we worship him, it also shifts our focus and enables us to move back into a state of faith. And that is where we're designed to live. Now, We've got to understand, just being in a state of faith, that doesn't guarantee a miracle. This isn't a silver bullet. It doesn't manipulate God to give us an answer or anything like that. But it is an emotional state that honors God, that pleases God, and that creates a space where revelation and resourcefulness from heaven can flow through our lives in an entirely different way. You see, it's not my competence that God responds to, but my faith. It's not even my character that God responds to. It's my faith. That means nothing I have done made me, sorry, nothing I have done made him give me a measure of faith. I didn't have to convince him to give me more because I needed more. There is no situation that God would lead me into that I don't already have the faith to see me through. He has anticipated my need. And I want to say to you this morning, he has anticipated your need. He has already given you the faith you need for whatever your challenge is, whatever your obstacle is, whatever your mountain is. I don't care how big it looks. I don't care how intimidated you feel. He has given you the measure of faith you need to get over it, to get through it, to see it through. I don't, you know the gift that God has given you in Corinthians? It talks about, sorry, in Romans 12, talks about actually we're gonna operate in that gift with the measure of faith that he has given us. He has given you the faith to move in the gift you've got. And sometimes we feel, oh, I'm not 
not experienced enough to move in that gift. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough confidence. I'm telling you, you've got to step out in confidence because he's already given you all the faith that you need to see the power of God move in the gifting that you are in. You've got it there. It's already inside of you. It's time for us to learn to dig it up, to find it again, and to work at living in that state where faith is how we roll. You know, every Thursday morning, I go to the Mount Albert campus, uh, you know, which is kind of connected with us, uh, and I share devotions with the staff. You know, um, just to encourage them and to inspire them a little bit. Come up with an inspiring devotion. It's a little bit like running a half marathon. It's uh, really fun to do it every now and then. Uh, it's a little bit less fun when you have to do it every single week. And uh, this is uh, probably three or four weeks ago. I left Maraitai at 6.50 a.m. as I do on Thursday mornings. Uh, and I'm in the car going, God, I, God, what am I going to share with the staff this morning? God, what am I going to share to inspire them and encourage them? So 6.50 I left. By 8 a.m. I managed to get as far as Waterview. And despite all of my thinking, my worrying, and my pleading with God, I had absolutely nothing. And I had about 10 minutes left. And then I remembered... God isn't holding out on me. Jesus isn't waiting to see if I can drum up enough faith to drag something out of heaven. That's not who he is. That's not how it works. And I realized that God is good and he delights in me moving in my gifting. And he has given me all the faith that I need to do what has to be done. And so I found myself thanking him again. Thanking him that he already had something prepared for the staff that morning. I thanked him that, that he loved the staff and he loved the opportunities that we had to do this. And I thanked him for the lessons I was still learning about faith and for the many lessons that I learned over the years from wise and caring leaders, from friends and from colleagues. And that got me thinking about when I was in my teaching career. And I began to thank God for the teacher that when I was a, a young teacher, he invited me to come into his classroom whenever I had an off period and I, would just, I could just sit at the back of this very talented young teacher and I could watch him as he managed his class and dealt with problems. I was so grateful for what I learned off that teacher. And then as I thought about that, I thought about Hebrews 10. You know, the, 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 the encouragement there to encourage one another daily. And I thank God for all the encouragement that I had received. And as I'm just moments away from Mount Albert campus, I suddenly realized there was my devotion. I told the story of the teacher who invited me into his classroom. I unpacked the scripture from Hebrews about encouraging one another daily. And then I got the staff and peers sharing with each other the most impacting lessons they'd learned in their teaching career. We finished with praying for each other, laying on of hands, and believing God for the day, a day ahead. You know, worrying for an hour got me nothing and nowhere shifting my focus off my problem and back on a God moved me into a faith state. That faith that God had already given me, access to revelation from God that touched and equipped our staff at Mount Albert campus that Thursday morning. It's a beautiful thing. We are to live in faith. And you know, there's one thing about Abraham I love. We read in, Hebrew, sorry, in Romans chapter 4, about uh, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. In fact, it says that he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. I love that Abraham didn't live in fantasy land. 
He didn't walk around going, I'm not 100 years old, I'm not 100 years old. He didn't try positive affirmations. He just faced the fact of the reality he was in, but he shifted his focus onto God. He was strengthened in his faith, Scripture tells us. And as a result, he saw the promise of God come to pass in his life. Let me ask you this morning, what are you believing for today? Abraham trusted he was perfectly positioned to achieve God's purpose. He was in the right place at the right time in the right season with the right spouse for God to do through him everything that God wanted to do. Let me tell you today, team, that you are in the right place at the right time in the right season in the right church with the right people around you for God to do through you what he has purposed to do. So let me ask you again, what are you believing for? What are you trusting God for? What are you needing to have faith for? Let me tell you this morning, the good news is you already have the faith. You already have the faith. It's been given to you. So let me, let me challenge you as we come to a close uh, this morning. Is it time for you to, to step back into that faith state? Do you need to shift your focus off the things that are holding you back, holding you down? Do you need to let go of all the excuses you've carried for days, weeks, months, or years about why you're not good enough or you can't do it or what's going on? Maybe you need to reinterpret what's going on in your life. Maybe it's not that God doesn't love you, doesn't care for you, doesn't look out for you, but maybe it's quite the opposite, that God is wanting to build something through you if you will just find the faith that He's put inside of you and step into it. Is it time for you to dust off the promises of God? And like Abraham, face the facts, but without wavering through unbelief. Remember what unbelief is? Unbelief is withholding our faith. He didn't waver through unbelief. Should I trust in God or should I not? No, absolutely. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust in God whether He does it or whether He doesn't do it. Because being in that place is the place I'm designed to live in. So maybe it's time for you to let go of worry. Worry is just a thief stealing from you every single day. Maybe it's time for you to believe in yourself like He believes in you. You have more faith than you realize. You have more faith than you will ever use in this lifetime. And maybe you need to take a moment and think again about where you're focusing. Are you focusing on your problems? Are you focusing on how bad your life has been? Are you focusing on how unfairly you've been treated? Are you focusing on how big the problem is? How wide the challenge seems? How high the mountain is? I'm telling you, as you shift your focus back onto God, the one who created the mountains, the one who can make a way through the sea, the one who can stop the Jordan River flowing, the one who can send Goliath crashing down, the one who can heal the sick, the one who can open the eyes of the blind, the one who can raise the dead. When you get your focus back on Him, I tell you, you'll feel it again. You'll feel the confidence start to rise up again. You'll feel what it is to be in that state of faith. And then you come and say, Lord, I believe. God, what do you want me to do? And then when we step out in action, then we will see what God can do. You were given faith to be fruitful. You were given gifts to be useful. It's time to get in a state of faith again. Be confident in your gifting. And believe God that He wants to do great things through you today. Come on. I'm going to pray for you as we close. Let me just start by saying this. If you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, then the beautiful thing is this. It's just a matter of faith. It's just a matter of having a conversation with God. 
of asking Him to forgive you of your sins, of believing that He loves you and has a plan for your life, and that He can make all things new in your life.